Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Trump's Capitol Hill power. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Nicole Murray on this Friday, January 26th. Glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. As Senate negotiators work on a compromise that would provide funding for Ukraine and address immigration issues, Donald Trump is rejecting it. Alabama executes an inmate with nitrogen gas for his role in a murder-for-hire scheme. Hear reaction from the victim's son. Business news, Salesforce is reportedly laying off 700 workers and Tesla shares tumble after a sales warning. And why working past the age of 70 can be a big hurdle. Your employer is just apt to uh, cut you loose at a certain point. Um, you know, buyouts, layoffs, downsizings, right sizings. Um, I, I'm guessing that people, once they get past 60, 60, are a little more vulnerable to all of those things. So that's a big reason. Dan Divizet at USA Today on why most of us retire earlier than we expect. An Alabama man sentenced to die for murder has been put to death with pure nitrogen gas. The first-of-its-kind execution took place last night for 58-year-old Kenneth Smith, who breathed in the gas through a face mask to cause oxygen deprivation. Smith appeared to remain conscious for several minutes. For at least two minutes, he appeared to shake and writhe on the gurney, sometimes pulling against the restraints. That was followed by several minutes of heavy breathing, until breathing was no longer perceptible. Alabama Corrections Commissioner John Hamm said they appeared to be involuntary movements. The murder victim's son spoke after the execution. All three of the people involved in this uh, case years ago, we have forgiven them. Not today, but we have in the past. Smith made the I love you sign with his hands for family members who were witnesses. He was convicted in the murder-for-hire killing of 45-year-old Elizabeth Sennett in 1988, for which he was paid $1,000. To Washington now, conservatives in the Senate are turning up the heat on their opposition to an emerging bipartisan deal that would fund Ukraine and address border security. Border State Republican Ted Cruz of Texas yesterday called the compromise a stinking pile of crap that will allow millions more migrants to cross into the country without resistance. He says former President Trump was able to drive the number of migrants crossing the border to just more than 500 people a day. But the new proposal might greenlight as many as 5,000 per day, plus provide incentive to others. South Carolina Republican Lindsey Graham. What we're trying to do will help him if he gets to be president. I will say to President Trump, if we can put this package together the way I hope it falls into place, that you'll have more tools to secure America than you've ever had. Trump has rejected any compromise on immigration policy. The Wall Street Journal says he's privately telling some GOP senators that he's upset Republicans would give President Biden a win on a signature Trump issue. The legal team for former President Trump has joined an effort by a co-defendant in his Georgia election interference case to disqualify prosecutor Fonnie Willis. We get more from this morning's Mike Gavin. Trump co-defendant Michael Roman has alleged in previous court filings that Willis had an inappropriate relationship with Nathan Wade, the lawyer she hired to help run the criminal case. Trump also accuses Willis, the Fulton County District Attorney, of stoking racial animus during remarks at a historically black church in Atlanta. She questioned why Wade, who was black, had come under scrutiny and not two other white prosecutors. Willis has been subpoenaed to testify in Wade's divorce case. Gordon. Thank you, Mike. Separately, testimony by Trump in the defamation case against him by writer E. Jean Carroll. 
ended with Trump standing by his previous testimony that Carroll's claim that he raped her was a hoax. Carroll, who's 80, is seeking at least $10 million over Trump's June 2019 denials. Ever feel like your finance software just isn't cutting it anymore? I say dump it. Hey, it's Gordon Deal, here to tell you about Ramp. It's the financial software you need to manage your expenses and avoid unnecessary work. You see, Ramp is more than a corporate card. It's a spending management software. It'll save you time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives your finance teams control and insight. You can issue a card to each employee with specific limits and automated expense reports. Ramp will systematically collect receipts and categorize expenses in real time. Just go to ramp.com slash Gordon. No more chasing down receipts or long hours on reports. Businesses using Ramp save an average of 5% in their first year. And now get $250 when you join Ramp. Ramp.com slash Gordon. That's R-A-M-P dot com slash Gordon. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. Get $250 when you join Ramp. Ramp.com slash Gordon. Thanks for spending time with us on this Friday. First was the Obama administration's vaunted pivot to Asia. Then President Trump pledged to get out of endless wars in the Middle East. President Biden has now tried to follow suit and radically reduce America's military footprint there. When does it end? Analysis from Ben Wolfgang, Pentagon reporter at The Washington Times. Ben, take us through the past three administrations. Well, it's an amazing thing, and it's sort of deja vu. And I feel you and I have been talking about this for years, U.S. troop presence in the Middle East. And it's amazing when you look from Obama to Trump to Biden, just how different those political figures are, especially you know Trump, and, and just you know doesn't agree on a whole lot of things with Obama or with Biden. But one thing they, they've all had in common is, you know, in the aftermath of of the Iraq war and the Afghanistan invasion, there was a desire, and there has been for, for well over a decade now, a successive administration to get the U.S. A, a, a smaller footprint in the Middle East to redirect those resources, mostly to the Pacific, to deal with China. And it's, it's amazing that it, it, it's consistently failed over a period of now 10 to 12 years. And there's a number of different reasons why, in the case of, of the Obama administration, it was the rise of ISIS that we had you know, a, a decade ago where you had essentially a quasi-army controlling a, a small country-sized space across Iraq and Syria. Obama didn't want to commit U.S. troops. There was a lot of hand-wringing inside the Obama administration. I was at the White House when, when the U.S. forces committed to, to strikes in Syria. They didn't want to do it, but they felt like they had no choice because ISIS was literally out of control at that time. So that, that pulled us back in. We still have troops in Syria and Iraq today that are fighting against ISIS. Yeah. And then with Trump and Biden, what you've seen is, is they've both gotten pulled back in for different reasons, but similar reasons when you really dig down into it. And at the end of the day, it's it's Iran, Gordon. When you, when you talk about Trump getting drawn back in, let's not forget, there were more troops in the Middle East when Trump left office than when he started. And that's the exact opposite of what he promised throughout his campaign. But the reason that that happened is because you had these militias, these Shiite militias in Iraq and Syria targeting U.S. troops um, and Trump surged assets to the region, to Saudi Arabia, to Bahrain, to other U.S. outposts in the region. Fast forward to today, what do we see? Biden's battling those same Shiite militias. He's also battling now Houthi rebels in Yemen. So the footprint's getting bigger. I mean, maybe you, if you, you know, want to play semantics with this, you know, there's fewer troops here, there's fewer troops there. We have withdrawn from Afghanistan, which we, we shouldn't forget to mention that. But the U.S. military activity footprint, however you want to call it, is really as strong or perhaps even stronger, bigger today 
than it was 10, 12 years ago when Obama first said it's time to get out. Wow. And that's really an amazing thing. Right. We're speaking with Ben Wolfgang, national security correspondent at The Washington Times. His piece is called No Way Out. Iran bogs down another U.S. president in Middle East morass. Is this another endless war with with what's happening now, especially, I guess, with, with the Houthi rebels in Yemen? Boy, it sure seems that way. I mean, and we're in the early stages of it, and I don't think anybody certainly, you know, Biden doesn't want another endless war. He, like Trump, campaigned against that, campaigned on getting out of endless wars and did, in fact, withdraw the U.S. from Afghanistan. But we're we're sort of sleepwalking, uh, you know, slow motion, getting pulled into another situation in Yemen where what exactly is the end game here? What is the metric for success? We've been bombing these sites, the U.S. and, Brit- and the British, for the past two weeks, again, almost every day. They're hitting new Houthi sites, but the Houthis keep firing missiles at commercial ships in the Red Sea and other waterways in that region. And so they're, they still have capabilities. So we obviously haven't been able to degrade them to the point that they're not uh, you know, able to wreak havoc. I mean, we've, we've even had to relabel the Houthis as a terrorist group right after we kind of we, we took that label off for a bit. That's right. That's right. That was uh, one of the first things the Biden administration did. I believe it was on day two, January 21st of 2021. They took the Houthis off of the uh, foreign terrorist organization list. They put them back on a specially designated terrorist list, which is a little bit different. There's some technical differences in terms of okay. you know, what kind of aid can get into Yemen. But yes, at the end of the day, this, this cold reality kind of hit Biden in the face where all of a sudden, it's like, I know we don't want to do this. We don't want to get involved in Yemen. But for better or worse, there simply isn't another actor in the world today capable of projecting the kind of military you know, intelligence power around the world that's necessary to just bomb sites in Yemen on very little notice. We can do it. The Brits, with our help, are able to do it. And that's about it. So this idea that the U.S. shouldn't be the policeman of the world, I, I think everybody agrees with that in theory. But here we are again uh, out on patrol uh, in the Red Sea every day. Thanks, Ben. Ben Wolfgang, Pentagon reporter at The Washington Times. 20 minutes now after the hour on This Morning. Here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Alabama put inmate Kenneth Eugene Smith to death through nitrogen hypoxia yesterday evening, making it the first of its kind execution in the United States. The method involves forcing an inmate to inhale only nitrogen gas, depriving the body of oxygen. The execution took about 22 minutes. Journalist Ivana Hrinku, who was an eyewitness. Following that, Kenneth Smith shook and writhed uh, for about two minutes on a gurney. That was followed by several minutes of deep breaths on the gurney. Following that, his breath slowed until it was no longer perceptible. Smith was pronounced dead at 8.25 p.m. Number two. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has announced discussions between the U.S. and Iraq to end the American military coalition will begin in the coming days. Iraq's government says ISIS is defeated and the coalition's job is over. The goal is to set a timetable for a phased withdrawal of troops. Deputy Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh. The United States and the government of Iraq will start working group meetings of the U.S.-Iraq Higher Military Commission in the coming days. Initiating a process the two sides committed to during the U.S.-Iraq Joint Security Cooperation Dialogue in Washington, D.C., on August 7th through 8th on, um, in 2023. Officials say the process is expected to take months. Number three. Former President Donald Trump's trade advisor, Peter Navarro, was sentenced to four months in prison for contempt of Congress yesterday. Navarro had defied a subpoena from the House Commit- 
committee investigating the January 6th U.S. Capitol attack, Navarro after sentencing. What my defense team has beautifully done in cooperation with the court has set up a roadmap for all future prosecutions. Judge Amit Mehta also ordered Navarro to pay a $9,500 fine. A 25-year-old New York dancer has died of anaphylactic shock after eating incorrectly labeled cookies that did not list peanuts among its ingredients. Orla Baxendale died on January 11th. Stu Leonard's, the grocery retailer who sold the mispackaged cookies, and the FDA have issued a recall of approximately 500 packages of Valentine Florentine cookies. The NFL issued an unexpected ruling. It strictly forbids Super Bowl 58 players, coaches, and participants from gambling while in Las Vegas. All right, no surprise there. Thanks for being with us. NerdWallet is out with its annual home buyer report surveying home buyers and their attitudes toward home ownership. Here's Elizabeth Renter, data analyst at NerdWallet. Elizabeth, what are we learning? Yeah, well, Gordon, every year we talk to people about their potential buying habits in the upcoming year. Um, this year we had a little bit of good news, a little bit of bad news. Um, I think the bad news most of your listeners probably already know, you know, the the market last year was a really tough one for buyer buyers, excuse me. 77% of people that started the year with the intention to buy fell short according to our survey. However, on the good side of things, um 12% of Americans say they plan to buy in 2024. Now, 12% is a lot, like unrealistically a lot. If 12% of Americans bought homes this year, it would shatter all records. So okay. it's probably not going to happen. But what it points to is some optimism that people feel like their chances this year are a little bit better than they were last year. Okay. I guess they kind of have to be. I mean, with interest <laughs> rates, right? Last year, I mean, yeah. there's, there's hardly any homes to buy. There's still bidding wars. That's right. That's right. You know, you know, okay. Yes. Rates still high, but lower than last year. They peaked in October at close to 8%. And now we're at about six and a half. Uh, prices are still high. They're probably going to stay high. Inventory is still low. It's probably going to stay low, but you're right. Those mortgage rates are the things that's going to change things a little bit this year for buyers and make those monthly payments a little more affordable. Yeah. I guess that sort of loosens the log jam, right? As rates come down, maybe more people will be willing to sell. That's right. That's right. As rates come down, those folks that locked in a 3% mortgage might be a little more um, prone to sell, put their house on the market. Um, however, we're at such a deficit when it comes to housing inventory that even if current homeowners do start listing their homes, it's not going to make a significant difference when it comes to prices. Our supply is so constrained that it will help. There'll be more houses to look at, but it's not likely to impact prices significantly. Mm. We're speaking with Elizabeth Renter, data analyst at NerdWallet. They're out with their annual home buyer report, which says kind of generally that the mood is gloomy among buyers, um, although there is some optimism. Um, explain to the point about how the, the current market could have a lasting impact. Yeah, that's right. So we know there's a lot of uh, folks, an increasing number of folks who say that owning a home isn't the measure of achievement that it once was. And I think, you know, the market last year has really uh, stopped prospective buyers and, and caused them to kind of pause and think about, okay, what's making me want to buy a home in the first place? Is it really that important to me or am I kind of doing it because that's what's expected of me? Um, and we found, particularly among younger generations, that it's extra bleak. <laughs> They're more likely to say that the current housing market has never been worse and that uh, current mortgage rates are unprecedented. Uh, but when you think about it, these younger would-be buyers are more likely to be first-time buyers. So the mm -hmm. odds are 
kind of extra stacked against those younger folks. They're earlier in their career, uh, their credit is less robust, so they're not gonna qualify for the lowest rates. Um, so yeah, it, it could have an impact on, on what people think of or, or, or whether they think buying a house has to necessarily be a sort of life stage. Elizabeth Renter, data analyst at NerdWallet, 30 minutes after the hour. On This Morning, America's First News. An all-star team of the world's best journalists bring you the facts each and every morning. This is America's First News, This Morning with Gordon Deal. Hey, thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Friday, January 26. Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray. Some of our top stories and headlines. Conservatives oppose a compromise on Ukraine funding and border policy. Alabama executes a killer with nitrogen gas. We get new inflation data today. CIA Director Bill Burns reportedly trying for a Gaza ceasefire. Vince McMahon accused of sex trafficking by a former WWE staffer. Novak Djokovic out of the Australian Open. Atlanta Falcons hire Raheem Morris, not Bill Belichick, as head coach. And the Texas kid, once told he wouldn't walk, who's now winning bodybuilding competitions. That story in about 20 minutes. Well, we're living healthier and longer. Many of us have jobs we can do on a computer from our couch. If we want to keep working past 70 or even past 80, what's to stop us? Well, a lot, as it turns out. Dan Divizé, reporter at USA Today, says our thinking can be misguided. Dan, how so? Yeah, the numbers say that people think they're going to work to a ripe old age. Uh, if you ask over 50 workers, and Transamerica Center did, the median person, the middle person, the average person expects to retire at 67, and a lot of us expect to retire much later than that. No reason not to, right? We've got the uh, working from home, and you can work from your couch and we're healthier longer, but there's a big spread between that number and the age that people actually retire, which averages 62. Mm. Why that spread? The spread has to do with two big factors, and I'm drawing here not just from Transamerica's research, but also the Employee Benefit Research Institute, two, two really great organizations that do annual work on this, surveys. Here's the reasons. Number one is your employer is just apt to uh, cut you loose at a certain point. Um, you know, buyouts, layoffs, downsizings, right-sizings. Um, I'm guessing that people, once they get past 60, 60, are a little more vulnerable to all of those things. So that's a big reason. Hmm. And the other big reason is health. You know, few of us anticipate this, but after 60, we're all much more likely to either have some kind of health setback for ourselves that slows us down, or a health setback maybe for your partner, your spouse, whatever, uh, or just someone else in your family. And those two things together sideline people. And again, we get to the average age when people actually retire. And this sounds like middle age to me, but 62. Man, we're speaking with Dan Divizé, personal finance reporter at USA Today. His story is called Think You'll Work Past the Age of 70. Good luck. Why most of us retire earlier. Uh, It's almost frightening because... If we're retiring earlier than we anticipate, all that possible planning we've done may go out the window. Plus, if we're living longer, might we run out of money? Those are scary things. Indeed. Uh, Just to start with, so many of us, especially younger people, you just assume that you're going to keep working till you choose to stop. I think most of us assume we'll get to choose when we retire. And it turns out, for 
for a lot of us, it's out of our hands because you don't expect or anticipate when you're going to be laid off. And so you might have a retirement plan, and maybe your retirement plan is, I probably, for myself, you know, work till 70, why not? Um, but that might be unrealistic. And so you might be caught short when you have to figure out how to come up with the money to fund the remainder of your life, again, starting at 62, which is not all that old. Man. Uh, a point was made in your story too about you know even if you land a job at 60 or maybe 62 it's probably not at your previous salary where you might have been at your peak might not be the same number of hours either i guess or perhaps even the same line of work that's right um transamerica uh, in their survey they and also uh, ebri they both bring out this idea that a lot of us assume we're going to transition into retirement you have this vision of gradually dialing down your hours maybe you know, uh, telling your employer you're going to go to part-time or only 30 hours or 20 hours a week, maybe consulting. Um, it turns out it's much harder to do that than you'd think. Um, usually for most people, retirement is a hard stop, and not all that many people go back and work for pay after their retirement. And the reason for that gets into, you know, the labor market. If you're in your mid-late 60s, it's not all that easy, goodness, to find a job like you had when you were in your 50s, which was when you were in your peak earnings, right? Um, it, it's hard to find even a part-time job. What would that job exactly look like? Who's going to hire somebody who was earning, say, six figures and then was abruptly transitioned into retirement and say, well, here, here's a job. It's, it's much harder yeah. to do that than, than you think. Boy, so, so what about planning here? You touched on planning a little bit. How do you think about this differently, perhaps? Well, Craig Copeland from the Benefits Research Institute said... Pick a number and, and try to be you know, honest with yourself, a number, a realistic number that you're going to retire at 67, and then subtract three from that. Uh, and that takes you down to maybe 64. Uh, that's just, that is the spread. I mean, that's a minimal spread. And so plan for that earlier retirement because your employer might have other plans for you than you have for yourself. Uh, you might have health problems that crop up. So, pl so plan for a number that's lower than what you're expecting. And then that becomes the basis for your retirement savings. Thanks, Dan. Dan Divizet, personal finance reporter at USA Today. Time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, you know we love to uncover the latest in food trends, but we also need to make sure that you're not putting anything in your stomach that you might regret later. This trend is both of those. South Korean health officials are warning the public not to eat deep-fried toothpicks after videos of the controversial practice started blowing up on social media. The bizarre pastime involves frying the oral hygiene accessories and oil so they puff up and corkscrew in the pan like poor man's curly fries as seen in videos circulating on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. They're then topped with powdered cheese and other seasonings before being eaten. The country's Ministry of Food and Drug Safety posted a PSA warning that the safety of deep-fried toothpicks has not been verified. Now, it should be noted that unlike the wooden or plastic toothpicks we have here, the majority of toothpicks in South Korea are comprised of corn or potato starch to make them more biodegradable ah, and hopefully more edible, yeah. I guess, if you're trying to eat them. Yeah. I mean, they look pretty good. I, saw, I don't know if you saw the pictures. Um, the, they, they, they look decent. They look like something, okay. you know, something you'd buy in a bag and, you know, that'd be salted, some kind of salty snack type yeah. of situation. So they, they look okay. I just don't know how they would uh, taste. So, uh, again, it's, it's a piece of wood, essentially, you're putting in your mouth, mm -hmm. uh, even though it's comprised of corn or potato starch. Yeah. So it's not completely wood. Right. But it's still wood. I mean, it's very compressed, whatever it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. 
What if, I mean, the oil makes them puff up, I guess, so it kind of expands them, so they're not so compressed. I like, just the idea of putting a toothpick down your throat yeah, is kind of scary. That's the thing. I like the uh, I like that I like the language of the warning. The safety of deep fried toothpicks has not been verified. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can we just just go eat something else that's fried? N- yeah. Not so we, a piece of wood. So we have to go like out of our way to yeah. basically find weird things to eat. Right. Let's just eat some some regular normal stuff that we know can be digested. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. A little pepper. You know, you want to spice things up, grab a pepper. There's a whole aisle of salty snacks, yeah. right? You and don't you really can, need these. You can fry just about anything. Just stay away from the toothpicks. <laughs> yes. And tipping has become a controversial topic recently, and now a Reddit user has stirred up controversy about a tip that was taken back. The woman explained that she and her husband like to share their wealth and give extra generous tips when possible. One night, they left $200 cash on the table for a $46 bill, a $154 tip, and got up and started to walk out. That's when their server ran them down and angrily demanded demanded they pay their bill and not run out, not having seen the wad of cash that was on the table. Not happy with being accused of stealing, the woman went back to the table, took back the $200, and replaced it with a $50 bill, reducing the tip from $154 to $4. Mm. The woman's husband and many commenters disagreed with her taking back the tip for what was an honest mistake. Others called it an important but expensive lesson for the young server to learn. Is an attitude everything here? Like how the server approached the couple, right? When he or she right, thought right. it wasn't, yeah, I guess because she was very angry about it. Yeah. Probably was loud about it. I'm guessing maybe mm. some other people saw her yeah. accusing them of stealing. Nobody wants to be embarrassed yes. in public like that. So I don't know if I necessarily agree with her taking the tip back, but I could see how in the moment she might have felt very embarrassed yeah. and wanted to you know, kind of make a rash right. decision like that. The follow up to this is her. Well, you know, did she offer a sincere apology? Right. That might have led the couple to leave the tip. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of factors here. I yeah, think. yeah, but just be. be, be be careful. Peter. Attitude is everything. Yes. Thank you, Mike. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. Thanks for being with us. The winter might be an ideal time to not repeat the go, go, go pace of summer. Fox News spoke with wellness experts who say relaxation during the winter is essential because it aligns the body's natural rhythm. Allowing yourself to relax during the winter could lead to improved well-being, greater productivity, and a more balanced lifestyle once the more active seasons return. Speaking of relaxing, winter should be a time to prioritize sleep. By one measure, about a third of adults regularly do not get enough sleep, and about 70% regularly don't get good quality sleep. Data supports the benefits of slowing down in the winter to accommodate major changes, including less light exposure. 
Eight minutes now in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. Negotiation amongst White House and Senate officials have continued regarding the bipartisan bill that would aid Ukraine and enforce stricter border security. However, now that Republican frontrunner Donald Trump has vocalized his opposition to the deal on social media, the agreement could be facing a potential collapse. Senate Republican Mitt Romney. The fact that he would communicate to uh, Republican senators and Congress people that he doesn't want us to solve the border problem because he wants to blame uh, Biden for it is uh, is really appalling. Trump did not propose alternate policy options. Number two. And more on the former president. Donald Trump took the stand for less than four minutes yesterday in the defamation trial brought by E. Jean Carroll. Trump, who denies Carroll's claims of disparagement and sexual assault, referred to the writer as mentally sick, a whack job, and even threatened to sue her. U.S. Dictionary. District Judge Lewis Kaplan had already declared he would not allow the former president to revisit findings from previous trials. Carroll is seeking at least $10 million in damages. Number three. Police say a Maryland woman is in custody after hitting five people with her car and stabbing two more yesterday evening. One of those injured included a 15-year-old. Prince George County Police Deputy Chief McCreary says this is one of the worst cases he has ever seen. I've been on the department for 20 years now, and I can say I have not seen anything like this since I uh, have joined the police department. The closest thing I can think of in recent memory was the D.C. sniper. Law enforcement says the incidents appear to be random and the investigation is still ongoing. New York Taylor Swift's New York City stalker has been arrested for a third time this week. 33-year-old David Crow was taken into custody Wednesday near the singer's Tribeca home, arraigned and mandated to stay away from Swift. Hours later, Crow was apprehended by police again and is now being held without bail. The 33-year-old is being charged with second-degree criminal contempt and will undergo a court-ordered psychiatric exam. Here's your dose of adorable. A father-daughter duo went viral after the two-year-old filled her dad in on her dating life. Who are you talking to? Dallas. Dallas? <laughs> Who the heck is Dallas? I thought you were talking to Jack. I broke up. You broke up already? Yeah. What happened? Flowers. Oh, he didn't bring you flowers? No word on the toddler's current relationship <laughs> status. <laughs> oh, man, there's got a long battle ahead of him. That's long, for sure. long battle. Thanks for being with us. A high school kid from outside San Antonio is like many other teen athletes, loves to play sports, doesn't mind throwing up a few selfies on his Instagram. It's just that his hurdles may be higher in achieving physical success. Hunter Moore from Bernie has dystonic cerebral palsy from a stroke he suffered as an infant. The left him partially paralyzed on his left side. But goodnewsnetwork.org says he's become a heck of a weightlifter and bodybuilder. Even though he can't use his left arm for isolated lifts, he can lock it around a bar. Like this, he can do a squat or a deadlift. Last summer, he was pressing 120 pounds with one arm and deadlifting 405. He took first place in his category in the Professional Natural Bodybuilding Association, then won again in Las Vegas in the professional class for men's disabled standing. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.